Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Tricky Kid Radio. We've got a special episode. We're coming to you live uh, from uh, Herman Park in the Herman Park Conservancy right here in, uh, in Houston, Texas, for a very, very special Thanksgiving week holiday episode. Joining me, uh, returning to the show, uh, is recording artist, hip-hop uh, heavyweight connoisseur, my man Jay Skinner. Jay, welcome back to Tricky Kid Radio. Hey, Rory. Thanks so much for having me back on the podcast. Well, and of course, what brings us back, and what also brings us back to Houston, is the reason why we're doing this here is that we're, we're going to be celebrating and talking this, this entire episode uh, for the wrestling world out there. For the WWE has their annual tradition of what is called the Survivor Series. Uh, the Survivor Series originated uh, in 1988 uh, as a Thanksgiving night thing to kind of compete with NFL football. Because, you know, football is a tradition and Vince McMahon has always kind of tried to kind of compete or, or compare or, or at least, the very least, tried to, you know, have a business model similar to the NFL. And, of course, the WWE has grown so much into its own thing uh, since 1988. So celebrating, actually, um, I guess it would be actually 1987. Because if this is the 31st year, I'll have to I'll have to correct that stat. But anyway, it's been a long freaking time. So uh, so we come back to Houston, and so when and so so again we have returned here. And the last time we were here was for a WWE event, their biggest event of the year, of course, WrestleMania. Yeah, man, we were here for uh, WrestleMania 25. Right. Uh, that was actually my first trip to uh, Houston and my first WrestleMania. So. Uh, that was, what, nine years ago? Yeah, it's weird to think that was nine years ago. And it was, of course, the 25th anniversary uh, of WrestleMania. Uh, Going to be celebrating WrestleMania 34 next year in New Orleans. Tickets just went on sale this past week. So uh, all you wrestling fans should go ahead and prepare to go ahead and get your tickets and, and uh, head to the Big Easy uh, uh, next year for the big WrestleMania event. So what's interesting is what we're going to be talking about just kind of sets you up here. We're going to be playing some, uh, some, some great music from some, uh, from some new artists, some returning artists. We're going to be sharing Thanksgiving memories, of course, our favorite Survivor Series moments. Uh, we're going to have a lot of great guests and just have a great time. Uh, the reason why we wanted to do it right here in Houston at this landmark as well is because Houston is doing this thing where uh, they're doing four nights. So they did their NXT event that we attended um, on Saturday called for their takeover event called War Games. The big event, Survivor Series, was on Sunday. Their live show, their flagship show, Monday Night Raw, was last night. And we've been to all three. And then tonight we're going to close it out with SmackDown Live. What are you looking forward to most tonight? Uh, tonight, I think, uh, of, of course, uh, my one of my favorites uh, is, is Shinsuke Nakamura. And it, just being in the building with him is always... Uh, there, there, there's a certain aura about him that just kind of comes off as um, a special feeling, even if you know n- there's not a whole lot going on. I know he's tagging with uh, Randy Orton tonight. Wow, uh, wow, okay. Should, should be a big-time match. So. Good deal, good deal. And and forgive me, uh, right now we'll go ahead and disclaim that if you have not seen Monday Night Raw yet, uh, here's the part where you close your ears and... Uh, where you close your ears there... Uh, and also, but no worries about SmackDown because this actually won't uh, air in, in some markets until after SmackDown uh, has aired. Uh, but if you have DVR'd it and you haven't watched it, uh, you're waiting till you get done eating Thanksgiving and and uh, you're going to be all uh, you know full of great food and wanting to relax and watch something again wrestling over football. Uh, you are going to want to skip over this one part if you haven't heard or haven't seen. But last night we saw the return of one of your favorites. 
Page. Yeah, man. Uh, it was something incredible to be in the building uh, with her return. Uh, she was really hot for the Houston crowd, or the Houston crowd was hot for her, for rather. For sure, for sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was more than that, too, because, as she said, she didn't come alone. Well, you know, and what's what's great about that, too, is that, you know, I think that what they're trying to, to, to do, and it's been a long time coming, is that uh, new fans won't remember this, but older fans will, of course, that, that Survivor Series was what was known as unofficially as one of the big four, where the pay-per-views were seasonal. And where they had, you know, them again, you know, uh, you know, in the wintertime, uh, they would have the Royal Rumble in January, obviously the big one, WrestleMania in the springtime, naturally SummerSlam was in the summertime, but the kind of a fall classic was the Survivor Series. And so, as you know, the day after WrestleMania is always kind of this big time event where people get called up or debuts, returns, surprises, all kinds of twists and turns to kind of make it kind of a, of a, uh, companion to the big event so like you said not only did Paige return but we saw the debut finally at last one of my favorites i've been looking forward to uh was mandy rose you guys you know as well as sonia deville and you guys if you guys might remember mandy and sonia they were on the last season of tough enough to which Paige was also a, a judge so it kind of makes sense there what, what did you think of their debut uh, yeah, it was uh, really interesting how they kind of came in, uh, immediately injected themselves into the women's division, uh, of course, uh, interrupting a uh, championship number one contenders match. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, because they had like Bailey and, and Sasha and uh, what was it, Mickey James? And Alicia Fox. And Alicia right. Fox. And then not only that, but then we cut to a backstage segment later on. And they're directly, uh, you know, in, in, in proximity to the champion at the time. And so uh, it's really interesting to see how, they're, how they'll be uh, in, injected into the championship scene. For sure, for sure. But they both have great looks. Uh, both are uh, very, very powerful, very striking, very impressive. Um, as much of a freaking train wreck that that last season of, uh, of tough enough, or just how, what a train wreck tough enough is in general, you know, <laughs> any sort of like competition type kind of thing always kind of lends itself to, uh, to that sort of thing. But, uh, but you know, those two really shown through and I think that's why obviously they were offered contracts and are now being called up. So speaking of call-ups and again, like I said, here's something else is down there in NXT is I've been a major fan for a while now of Liv Morgan. And, uh, again, I don't, we don't like to do the whole rumor thing. This isn't a wrestling podcast. This isn't a wrestling show. We're dedicating this episode to wrestling because we are, we are here. We, we are big fans. Um, we are, you know, uh, loosely associated as, as we kind of orbit around the industry. Obviously, um, I do the thing for HWE wrestling and everything else, but what we don't want this to be is one of these like rumor mill, uh, clickbait, you know, crap out there of all these kind of like cynical know-it-all wrestling uh, types. And and I and I, I know I'm not, that's a sweeping generalization because uh, I know there's a lot of you out there that are that are that are awesome and great. But you know, I think even those people that are hearing this know exactly who I'm talking or what I'm talking about. So having said that, uh, all disclaimers aside, is that Liv Morgan uh, is rumored to be debuting tonight oh, at wow. SmackDown. So again, Paige on Monday, Liv Morgan on Tuesday. The week is off to a great start. Yeah, uh, I, I had not seen any, any uh, rumor about Liv Morgan. One, one thing that I was kind of contemplating to myself, and, and you know, I don't know that there's any real chance of it, but... It'd be pretty amazing to see the iconic duo come up. 
uh, both uh, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce from NXT. See, and, and I think that if they were to be somewhere, it would it would you know and uh, you know it would probably would be on SmackDown. And even though Paige is returning, but you know three people coming up, that's kind of that would be that would be kind of. I think that with Billy Kay's injury, I think Billy Kay might be injured though, or she just sucks. I don't know. <laughs> it's um, one of the two. Uh, you know, Peyton Royce definitely has uh, has, has surpassed her uh, and left her. You know, to, to be crude, left her in the dust there. Um, Peyton is such a great talent, and I mean, I give it up to anybody that gets in the ring and everything else. But it's just, you know, in this situation, the cream has definitely has risen to the top, and and uh, with Peyton Royce, it's just and what a what a great. Speaking of that, what a great thing that we saw starting on Saturday with NXT. Um, God, I, 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 you know, I tweeted about this, and, and um, Kyrie Zane, uh, Jesus, I, uh, seeing her elbow drop, it was like, an, like you, you know, we're talking about like, like, like an anime style fighter. You can't really do that. That's anime, but it's like an anime fighter come to life. And I talked about this, and I tweeted about it. It was like watching Michael Jackson do the moonwalk for the first time. I mean, the first time you saw it, you were kind of like, wait, wait, what did he just? What inhuman thing did he just do? That's what it felt like. Yeah, definitely. It, and it very much was that. It's like, who who told you that your body could do that? And what made you think that you should try it? But somehow she did it. She pulled it off. She's gotten it over. And why not? Because it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful move from a, from a beautiful performer. Totally. I mean, she is a star from top to bottom. Uh, you know, there's already a lot of hype surrounding her. But, man, this is, a, a, a you know, a, a, an example of where the hype doesn't even, even quite you know, match the potential because she not only did she do it, she does it consistently and beautifully. And, uh, and, and, you know, I wrote to Kyrie, uh, about it, how, how impressed we were. And she was kind enough to, you know, to, to, to show you the kind of person that she is, uh, you know, to, you know, to write us back on Twitter and, and, and to thank us. And, uh, and that just shows you, you know, the, the character, which is going to carry her very, very, very far as well. But my goodness, Though, you know, first of all, she looks amazing. She looks like a superhero. She's gorgeous. She's got a great look. The ability is unlike anything we've ever seen. And, and, you know, and this this far down the road, it's very rare that you see something you've never seen before. Um, and so when somebody can pull out something like that that just seems inhuman, uh, what, a, what, a, what a great thing to be able to witness that. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to trade it for anything that, that we were there and actually got to see it in person. Obviously, you know, not the first time that she's done it on, on U.S. Soul, but uh, definitely a, a marquee event uh, and, and big moment in that show. Uh, and so, and, and, and everybody on that was so great. Again, we're talking about Peyton Royce um, and, you know, of course, Kyrie Zane. And, uh, God, there was just so much action in, you know, in the ring that night. Um uh, with Nikki Cross and, and of course, Ember Moon. Moon yeah. uh, shout out to, uh, you know, Dallas resident who ended up winning, of course, winning, winning the belt there. So uh, the other thing was we had to talk about in terms of war games was Zelina Vega. In my opinion, besides Kari Zane, that was the spot of the night. Yeah, I mean, uh, just kind of seeing her come up, and this is the first time I'd seen much of her. Uh, obviously, I was kind of associated to the, to the storyline of her coming in and kind of refocusing Andrade and, and getting him from that jobber status to uh, where he's now in, in, in contention for the championship. And say his full name for our listeners that might not be familiar. Andrade Cien Almos. Okay, and then, and then what's, what's a little bit of his background? So he's actually uh, from um, one of the major pro, uh, promotions down in Mexico. He was a star down there as a face. Uh, 
good guy for for those not hip to that lingo. Sure, sure. And uh, he came signed with uh, WWE, came over to the developmental, um, and he's kind of been put in a role of not really. He's kind of like the gatekeeper. Like if you ever notice in WWE when guys are called up on SmackDown, they go and they fight Dolph Ziggler. After Dolph Ziggler, they go and do this, this, and this. It's kind of the same thing. So he's that first one that they come in, they make their debut against, they beat him. So we we were actually there for really his first big push. Sure, sure. And a, a big part of that is due in major part to Zelina Vega. But I think also you can take any anything, you know, for, you know, for all the moves, all the characters and everything else. It's kind of like there's always that one spot, no matter what, that you're always going to remember. And that's what you take away from it. Is it okay, no matter how great the spot was, how great the psychology was, what are you going to remember the most? Like, what is what is the thing? Like, for example, if the minute you say King of the Ring, you know, 98 or whatever it was, 97, 98, what you, you think, of course, Stone Cold. Stone Cold, yeah. When you have the three, Austin 316 thing. So I really feel like that when people say, you know, NXT War Games, the, the first thing that I'm going to think of from now on is Alina Vega's very Lita-like uh, Hurricanrana thing where she just dropped Drew McIntyre and looked like a boss doing it. Yeah, I think that's a big part of her character, too, is just that confidence, and she speaks so well on the mic. And, you know, I don't I don't know a whole lot about her background, but clearly trained sure. as, a, as a wrestler because the way that she took to it and was, was able to perform, you know, that Hurricane run on, on uh, Drew McIntyre and, and just delivered it beautifully – um, and, and, you know, I, I think that speaks to the potential that she has going forward and the uh, potential that Andrade has for being attached to her. Well, you know, I mean, you can't overstate it. It's kind of, kind of like what, what the Maurice, of course, is, you know, uh, Miz's real life wife has brought to his character. Um, and, you know, obviously her being a, you know, uh, a champion and everything else, but just not even as an accessory. I mean, like, I, I would say that even though, uh, you know, Andrea is the performer in terms of, or the competitor, I don't, you know, they are equals, if not even more, if not, if not even more, let me pause this for this noise. But, you know, him being the competitor, but that's what I'm going to remember is Lena Vega. You know what I mean? Like her jumping in, when she walks down that ramp, she's so believable. So striking looking, so authoritative, and then backs it up. You know, I mean, we, we know what's going on here, but anybody that makes it so easy or forces you to suspend your disbelief, that's a star. Yeah, for sure, because that's a rare quality in today's superstars. Well, for, for, for sure. I think it's just a, a rare quality, you know, you know, period, but especially now. And, you know, what was funny is I also, I, you know, we, we, we tweeted about this also on social media is I reached out to Zelina and I said, hey, when are you making, I got one question for you. When are you making your in-ring debut? I know that she is, of course, made her in-ring debut elsewhere, uh, but for the WWE and, and, and if and when she does for, for NXT and of course, obviously it's coming. Uh, all I can say is the women's division is about to be lit up uh, by Zelina uh, and of course, now with Mandy Rose, the return of Paige, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan. It's a great time, uh, uh, especially to be a, a, a women's wrestling fan, um, finally giving them some chances. Um, and, uh, and, and what we're going to do is, is that, speaking of tweeting, where can they find you, uh, Jake, on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Jay Skinner Music. Um, 
on Instagram at jgotham underscore 501. Fantastic. And of course, you always you can find us on Twitter at Tricky Kid and the number two. It's Tricky Kid and the number two. Uh, also, find us on uh, Facebook at Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. Just type that in and it'll come up. And also, the best thing to do is go to iTunes. Just type in Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. Click that subscribe button. It's totally free and shows just like this will pop up each and every week into uh, your iTunes. And you can listen to them whenever you want, you want to. You like the show, you enjoy it, let us know. Always helps us whenever you are able to write a review. Just a quick little word or two really helps us to be able to bring this show to you each and every single week. So what we're going to do now is we are going to take a quick break to acknowledge uh, some great sponsors of Tricky Kid Radio and tell you about some great events that are coming up that we're going to be involved with uh, and then play you some, some, some new music. And we'll be right back uh, where we're going to be talking about Survivor Series 2017 and uh, bringing on some guests and sharing some of our favorite Survivor Series moments from the past 31 years. Stick around. Hi, this is Natalie Cox. I play Juno Eclipse in The Force Unleashed, and you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Tanner. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about, speaking of wrestling, is December 16th, uh, we return uh, to Benbrook, Texas there at the Sendera Center with IHWE Wrestling. Uh, we just had our biggest event of the year we are with Old School Hustle there at the Ridgely Theater in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, which was a great, great, great event. We uh, had so much fun. We had so many great uh, competitors uh, from uh, Michael Eglin to uh, Angelus Lane to Ivory Reed. Uh, lots and lots of great stuff. And so go to IHW Wrestling. If you can find it on Facebook, uh, just go to IHW.com. Tickets are now available. Again, December 16th at the Sendera Center there in Benbrook, Texas. It's right outside of downtown Fort Worth. We're going to have a great, great, great time. I will be on commentary, um, and it's going to be uh, a great, great night. We're very, very, very much looking forward to uh, being able to bring to you. And then May 18th, uh, there's something great in the works uh, for next year, 2018, for all you Chris Cornell fans out there. Um, you know, obviously, here at Tricky Kid Radio, and me personally, I've been a lifelong Chris Cornell fan. Uh, of course, we tragically lost Chris uh, this year um, under horrible circumstances, and uh, all of you out there, if you haven't already checked out our Chris Cornell episode, I encourage you to do so uh, as soon as you get the chance. We play a lot of great music, a lot of rare stuff, a lot of stuff you may have never heard before, tell a lot of great stories. And uh, what we're trying to do is put together this, this a great tribute there at the Berkeley Theater uh, in San Francisco. San Francisco is one of my favorite cities in North America and all over the world. So we want to unite all the Chris Cornell, Soundgarden, Audio Slave all the other million bands that uh, he was a part of and brought us so much great music over the years. Uh, so, again, keep your eyes peeled, uh, again, on trickykid.com, tricky-kid.com, and all of our social media platforms uh, so you can stay tuned to find out about this great, great event and how you can be a part of it because uh, it's going to be really, really something. You're, you're, you know, you may have noticed when you're watching all these award shows uh, – that for some reason uh, they haven't mentioned Chris Cornell or he's not on their radar or no longer or never was. Well, um, 
we haven't forgotten Chris, and nor, nor will we ever. And we're going to make a statement about that. And uh, by bringing everybody together for a great night of memory and music uh, to, uh, to celebrate the life and legacy of Chris Cornell. So again, May 18th, be on the lookout for that for sure. And while you're on uh, TrickyKid.com, check out our great sponsor with OfficeFurniture2Go.com. I know Christmas is around the corner. You're probably looking for some gifts to buy. If you're on there and everybody needs, you know, maybe like a home office or just any type of kind of thing, they have all kinds of stuff there. Check out OfficeFurniture2Go.com. We've got a lot of great deals. You click on their link uh, through our portal. They'll throw a couple of bucks back your way, uh, back, back our way. Uh, so we can keep this show free and bring it to you each and every single week there. Uh, so lots of guests on the way. Uh, again, we're going to have uh, Mike McClurdy from IHWE. Uh, he's going to be calling in uh, and also along with us sharing our favorite Survivor Series moments, not just from this year, but uh, across the, the vast uh, 31 years of this great, great legacy in history. Again, coming to you live from Herman Park here in Houston, Texas. Uh, in anticipation for tonight's uh, SmackDown event, the uh, the final uh, event of a four-night stand here in Houston, this uh, historic uh, run here, which we've been uh, very honored to be a part of. So, uh, without further ado, before we get that, to that, I want to play you a track, a teaser track, if you will, uh, from New York City's Wild Street, uh, one of my favorite bands uh, of all time. They are so awesome and so fun. Uh, fans, uh, you guys will remember Dirty Penny from back in the day, and they kind of morphed into into Wild Street. Uh, and we're just doing it big, uh, loud and proud all across uh, North America, hitting all the big festivals and stuff. Took a little bit of a break uh, for about three years. Uh, have now have now regrouped, uh, and they're ready to kick ass. And as a matter of fact, the, uh, the preview I'm going to play you is for the up- an upcoming track called Raise Hell. Uh, it's going to drop December the 15th. Uh, and they got a show uh, in support of it. It's going to be coming up there in uh, in New York at the, the, Irving, the Great Irving Plaza there the night before on the 14th. Uh, and lots and lots of great stuff coming up. So keep an eye out for all the Wild Street listings. You can find them, of course, on the interwebs. Uh, go on uh, Facebook and all the other social medias and just type in Wild Street Music, Wild Street NYC. You'll be able to, uh, to, to locate them. They put on a killer, killer show. So here's the preview. So raise hell. From Wild Street. And we'll be back with Michael McClurdy and all of our favorite Survivor Series.
So, all right, whenever you're ready. Okay, well, this is Sam Jones slash Gordon. I'm with Roy Turner at Tricky Kid Radio. And you better be tuning in, or I will find you. Yes, I will. Yes. Man, that was awesome. I cannot wait to see those guys live. Dude, I'm telling you, man, they put on like the best show. It's like, it's like, it's so wild and fun. And it's like how, you know, how it used to be, man. You know, yeah, I mean, it, but, wow. but, but they're not a throwback. They're not a throwback. I mean, they may look a little bit like obviously the Sunset Strip Motley Crew kind of thing. Uh, but they're kick ass and still kicking ass and bringing a lot of great stuff. So make sure you look for that. Uh, December the 15th and December 14th, the night before, you're in the New York City area. Go check them out at the Urban Plaza. So now, as promised, we're now going to bring you uh, our full rundown from Survivor Series this past Sunday. We were in the house, sitting right behind the uh, announce booth, uh, there with Todd Phillips, Corey Graves, uh, Michael Cole, and, uh, and of course, Houston's own Booker T. So, Jay, what was what was your favorite moment from Survivor Series this year? Personally, uh, man, my favorite moment has to be uh, Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles, man. Uh, I, I... I was definitely uh, looking forward to that a lot more. I was happy when they updated the card, and they definitely didn't disappoint. Well, you know what was funny? I, th- I think my main thing was just being in the house because I have this personal thing to, to check off all four because I come from that era of, you know, like we mentioned earlier about the big four of wrestling, and, and you and I, of course, you know, checked off uh, the uh, the Royal Rumble. Uh, actually, last time we had you on the podcast was back in January when we did it from San Antonio. And, uh, and of course, the last time we were, this was before, before we had the podcast, uh, was back in Houston here for WrestleMania 25. So, and a couple other WrestleManias. Uh, so, so, got SummerSlam to go. Hopefully, you know, we'll be able to, to check that out. But I was just so happy to be at a Survivor Series event, especially the capacity that we were. Like I said, like right there within arm's reach of the announce table, kind of having their, that perspective from, uh, you know, from the entrance ramp all the way to the ring. Uh, the match that I was looking most anticipated for was the five-on-five uh, women's match, and nothing. Uh, the women did great. I just it did feel like that shades of the old, you know, what happened to the Give Divas a Chance and Wrestling Revolution and and all. We were talking about Paige debuting and all these. A great time to be a women's wrestling fan. So I thought that that was not really a like a step back. But it did kind of irk me the way that, that Becky Lynch was kind of gone instantly. But again, like I said, we're not one of these inside people who think that we know everything. For all we know, that, that she was hurt uh, or, or and tweaked something, and she could only go three minutes. She, for all we know, she could have requested uh, to to be eliminated first. Do you know what I mean? You, you never know. I mean, for, as, as from our perspective, it seemed like that they were kind of, you know, like, oh, are we, go, are we going back to this? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it definitely seemed like uh, the women got kind of the short end of the stick, not only in that match, but, uh, but also the uh, women's championship match. Uh, just because of, you know, time slots, whether it was placement on the card, whatever it was, they just seemed to be a little bit lacking. Of course, uh, Charlotte and Alexa still were able to make the most of their match later on in the night. Um, but uh, because of the placement on the card, the crowd wasn't quite as into it as some of the other uh, uh, matches. Right. As, as good old JR would say, it was a bad real estate there because uh, it, it, and, and that's all I'm kind of saying. I don't think it was like a major step back, but it definitely kind of had that feel that that move and feel of like oh if we're if we're running short on the show and we have to cut stuff it, it's the women that are going to be cut and then from a television uh, production standpoint it was just crazy how 
when it got to the main event, suddenly, you know, there were 12 cameras and 15 uh, uh, handhelds and then the remote and then two cranes. And it just it, it really uh, you can you can see where the priority is there. And I guess the priority for them is what's going to sell and what's going to make the most money. But as a performer, it would be hard not to notice that, that if you're part of a production and, you know, there's eight cameras, there's four cameras for your match and then there's, you know, 24 and two cranes for the other one, you have to think, okay, I need to be in that match, right? Yeah, you, know? you would definitely think so. And it, it would be hard not to take away from that. But I think that also speaks to the resiliency of those performers that are on the undercard and kind of gives them something to look towards even, you know, that main event status. And that's sure. part of it is, is having those eyes on you. I really like the seats that, uh, again, that we were in because we were able to see the ring at eye level of the performer, as well as being right across from them on the entrance ramp. And so what was great about that is that, you know, I can watch this event on TV or as they would say, of course, the WWE Network. I want to see something that I'm not going to be able to see there. Be part of something to have a unique experience. And that and having those seats really provided that unique experience because while what they were showing on TV, I'm looking at the ramp. I'm observing different things. There was a lot of, you know, that's what makes the live experience so unique and, of course, worth it and, and, and one of a kind, of course. Uh, but all in all, I thought it was a great event. Like I said, uh, you know, Triple H, uh, you know, always one of my all-time favorites coming back uh, for seeing him in the same ring with Kurt Angle and the same team was was very cool and very interesting. And, and um, you know, I, I, I missed the whole Attitude Era and it probably wouldn't have been for me anyway. So I'm not one of these... Uh, DX crotch top guys, but I did think it was extremely funny and fitting and perfect when to mock Bobby Roode's glorious chant and uh, that he kind of did his mannerisms, but of course changed it to his changed own. Changed it to his own thing, yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, I think that that match just really played on the dynamics and the psychology of the crowd and uh, just really went above and beyond, and they had him hooked from the beginning. From the beginning to the end, the For crowd sure. was a hundred percent into it. You know, I haven't. We obviously haven't had the opportunity yet to go back and rewatch this uh, from a production standpoint on the network. Right. Um. But we had the benefit of being there, and so I don't know what the reception is for uh, people who were uh, watching from home or watching, you know, from a watching party. Uh. But I would definitely say that in that building, uh, they never lost the crowd. Oh, never. Of course. And you know what was so great too was that again. Uh, it had that big fight feel because, again, like, you know, there's this great history of Survivor Series, but with so many pay-per-views kind of crowding the landscape, uh, a lot of these, you know, it's really the one that kind of got lost in the shuffle. Royal Rumble is very unique. It would be impossible to get lost in the shuffle. SummerSlam has always gotten the same full court, you know, press pushed, and, of course, obviously WrestleMania. There were years where Survivor Series was just Survivor Series in name only. And for those that aren't wrestling fans that are listening to the show this week, we thank you. Just to explain what that means is this, is what, this, what makes the Survivor Series unique, like the other three events of the year, uh, back when there were only four, is that it's this neat thing where, you, back in the day, it was actually four on four. And it was, uh, and, and every match was that way. Meaning that, uh, it was the Survivor Series, meaning that, and they're all elimination matches. So what makes the Survivor Series the Survivor Series was you would see these teams, these unlikely teams forming of four on four. And back in the day, they did really well were, were those that one time team even had its own unique name for that match. Even one time, and I don't know if you know this or not, not Jay, but 
uh, I forget what year it was, but they did it one year where all the survivors of each match, because obviously there's going to be one sole survivor or maybe a couple survivors on, on, on one team, because how it works is that you keep going until one team is completely eliminated. Now, there might only be one person left on the on the winning team. It might be the full team. One year, they took all the surviving survivors from all the matches and had a final match of survivors at the end. Wow. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. That's awesome. I'll have to look at what year that was. But it sounded a little confusing, and I think that they, they probably – there's probably a reason why they only did that that one year. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was great because it was kind of like, okay, what are you, what are you, you know, shooting for here? You want to be a sole survivor, but then at the end, it's kind of like on the game shows where they took kind of like all the Jeopardy champions and then had a big Jeopardy champion. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. Like a ter- tournament of champions. For sure. Um, and so again, so, uh, you know, so there were years where they didn't even have a, even one Survivor Series match. There wasn't... So, how was that the Survivor Series? It, for those years, it just happened to be just that that pay-per-view in November. So, to see them bringing it back, uh, you know, la- you know, like last couple of years, they'll just be like, oh, I guess we should do one of those. And they upped it to 5-on-5, five five for whatever reason. I don't know why 5-on-5 five five is versus 4-on-4. Four four. But, we'll, hey, we're going to do one of... But, but the rest of the card is a regular pay-per-view. So I thought it was cool that even though that they still only did one match for the men and one match for the women, at least that's that's two Survivor Series, you know, traditional matches. I thought it was cool that that the whole event had that big fight feel. There was an effort there to make it equal with the other three, you know, where where it belongs. Because talking about the great rich history of the Survivor Series, I mean, you have to realize that in 1990, this was the debut of The Undertaker. Yeah, uh, man, and of course, you know, not only the debut of The Undertaker, but the debut of Jay Skinner on the planet, so uh, definitely a (laughs) year that holds a special uh, place (laughs) in my heart, and of course, uh, you know, not only The Undertaker, you know, The Rock debuted at Survivor Series. Right, right. And so, you know, he was a sole survivor for his team that year, and so it's, uh, it's one of those things where in the past, it was always that big event, that big fight feel throughout and in, like you said in recent years that's something that's been lacking but definitely not this year for sure for from sure. beginning to end i definitely felt like this card and this event was packed to the brim i don't know if we'll ever, ever if we'll ever see it return to where it was where literally every match on the card is a survivor series match but i don't think it really needs to be i think that the reason why it's not is it's like a learning lesson they learned from that but again what makes it unique is the same reason what makes the royal rumble unique what makes the wrestlemania unique what makes SummerSlam unique you see what i'm saying that survivor series actually has something even more unique than SummerSlam. so i don't know where the interest uh for the production team was lost in that but it's good to see it returned and see it back to its rightful status as one of the big four because again some of my favorite memories uh again there's no way we could talk about the 1990 uh survivor series obviously not only the debut of the undertaker and for all you smarty pant wrestlers uh fans out there that that that's uh you know only like you know matt style uh you know bob backland versus uh you know you know I don't know. Uh, insert technical wrestler bland thing here. Uh, I happen to love the Gobbledygooker, and it was one of my favorite 
uh, memories not only in wrestling, but one of my favorite memories uh, is a a young person and as a wrestling fan altogether. Now, again, you were born that year, but have you ever gone back and seen a course? Because it's kind of looked at as one of those things, like like, to relate, like E.T., for the Atari 2600, is considered to be the worst video game ever made, and that's true because it's garbage. It's it's an unfinished game, but you know, but who doesn't want to play? Right. Yeah. You want to get your hands on. Who it, doesn't want to play the worst video game of all time? So people want to go back and use the Gobbledygooker as a punchline, and you know, in in hindsight, watching it as an adult, yeah, it's a very rotten spot. Also, didn't quite wasn't aware of how kind of blue, and what I mean by blue meaning somewhat, uh, um, you know, adult-themed uh, little snarky commentary that Mean Gene Okerlund had done watching yeah. as an adult. Have you ever gone back and watched yeah, it? Yeah, I went back and watched it, and I was surprised by that too, because a big part of the gobbledygooker in my mind was, well, this this is the part of the show that was aimed at the kids, you know, uh, and, and that goes to, to how both you and I kind of feel about uh, the product and, and how it's aimed at kids because it should be right 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 right. and so uh you know hearing all the stories growing up i always thought that was the part that was dedicated to the kids in this otherwise blue type of uh event and going back and listening to that commentary that was certainly not the case i I just don't think he had anything anything really to work with and he just kind of started just kind of riffing this of course is before everything is micromanaged with writers to down to an you know ringing it with an inch of its life but you know, but WWE product was anything but as we're calling blue or adult oriented. It was basically all for kids, and so you know, where else would they think? And it's, you could also could say just a different time. Where else would they think that this giant egg that's about to be hatching? But here's what's funny: is that I wasn't five years old in 1990. I was a teenager, and I couldn't wait for this thing to hatch. Right. Looking back on it, kind of going, "Wow, I can't believe I was as excited for that," but I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it, and there's a reason why people remember it, not just for the fact that some consider it to be some, one of the worst, most, you know, rotten moments ever, but, you know, those of us that remember it also remember it as, as a good thing. So whenever he makes his little appearances here and there, I was kind of hoping we were going to see him, uh, you know, on Sunday night. I was like, I hope the gobbledygooker, um, because... A quick little thing was the first WrestleMania I ever went to, of course, was here in Houston in WrestleMania 17, where they had what was called the Gimmick Battle Royal. And if you remember, uh, something else that we've done while we were in Houston was that Bruce Pritchard, who performed his brother Love, who has been in the headlines recently, if you might remember, because P. Diddy decided to change his name once again. Uh, and for some reason, uh, P. Diddy, who has performed at WWE events, you would think he would know his history and know that there's already been a long-time performer going by the name of Brother Love. Uh, so Brother Love was in this gimmick battle royal, uh, and they brought back all the fun, out there, outrageous gimmicks for the, you know, but it was a little too self-aware. In fact, they even called itself the gimmick battle royal. Right. I would have, you know, and it included the gobbledygooker. Oh. Um, but, uh, but that was, I thought that, that was kind of funny. Like I said, that, you know, Bruce Pritchard was like, no, no, no. And then the passionate wrestling fans were all over P Diddy that, you know, we, um, uh, Jay, you and I went to course the house of blues, um, uh, right before the survivor series. 
Uh, Bruce Pritchard has this great uh, po- has a podcast of his own now called Something to Wrestle, uh, and it's along with him with Conrad Thompson, and it's 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 great. It's I mean he tells a lot of long in depth. It really pulls the curtain back. Um, you know, it's not really uh, you know it's it's uh, I don't know I, you know. I've only seen him do it live, so I think that maybe it might be. Uh, it's definitely not all ages, is my point. Yeah, certainly uh, not all ages. Uh, what, what what was your takeaway for the Bruce Pritchard event uh, on Sunday House of Blues? Uh, well, you know, I, I always like stuff like that just to kind of get that insight that we wouldn't otherwise have. Right, um, right. I one of the big things that that I did not know about Bruce Pritchard as a person is he's he's a pretty funny guy. Yeah. With the, with the impressions Amazing and all Amazing impressions. Yeah. Um, I did. I was not aware of that. Well, yeah. And what was cool is I, I saw it, him do it before, uh, whenever in Dallas with the uh, the WWE event called Great Balls of Fire over the summer. And But this time, it was in a much, much more organized setting. I mean, he played this, this punk club that my friend owns in Deep Ellum in Dallas. This time, it was at the House of Blues right across from the Toyota Center in downtown Dallas, uh, excuse me, Houston. And he had all these masks with the little you know, kind of like popsicle stick attached to it. So every time he would do an impression, he would just pick up one and like, he'd pick it up and go chocolate, you know, like to be uh, like Vince McMahon or some of his favorite ones. Um, but uh, I thought it was a really, really funny, fun event. It was joined, you know, we're here in Houston, Texas with world champion, Josh Reddick from the Houston Astros. Yeah, definitely. And uh, one thing that shocked me about that was I was completely unaware of how big of a wrestling fan he was. Totally. Totally. Um, I did know that he came out to uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair's theme music when he comes out to the field. But, uh, but yeah, just how in-depth he is. Because, as you know, and most wrestling fans are – most people listening to this podcast, to be honest, uh, probably know that Ric Flair has transcended the wrestling world by, sure. by miles. And so just because somebody references him or uses his name or his, his likeness doesn't necessarily mean that they're a huge wrestling fan. But that's certainly not the case with Josh Reddick. Well, you know, and it was so great too because I'm a massive baseball fan. Obviously, rooted for the Houston Astros, not only as a as a Texan, but also, of course, all the the, the trauma that's happened down here in Houston uh, with the hur- with the Hurricane Harvey and, and and all the stuff that happened down here. And I'm and I'm actually pleased to say that Houston is is strong and back on its feet. It's beautiful. If you've been avoiding Houston, come on back. It's a great great place to to, to visit uh, and a great place to to uh, to hold this, this this great series of events. Uh, but that was just a cool thing to see Josh Reddick. And then speaking of Ric Flair, when uh, they FaceTimed Ric Flair live right there, for, you know, with, 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 for all of us. Yeah, that was completely unexpected. And, it, you know, it just really goes to show Ric Flair is, regardless of, of the health condition that he's in or what he's got going on, um, this is what he lives and breathes. For and sure. He, he will do anything to, uh, to, to, to make sure that the fans that adore him are getting back something from him. And so uh, the fact that, you know, within a few moments, I think they said they arranged that, that FaceTime, uh, he answered the call, uh, he, you know, gave gave uh, gave the fans a little bit of himself. But what was so cool about it, though, though too, is that, is that this was really, talking about pulling back the curtain, this was the real deal. I mean, this wasn't a WWE-produced event. This wasn't micromanaged, and he didn't have to call his manager and go through, you know, there was no script. This is exactly what you would imagine if you were, and it was, so when he came on that FaceTime, he wasn't even aware, I don't think, that he was, they were informing him that they were in front of a big audience. Oh, wow, okay. And so I think that he was just, he was just excited, because, you know, it is Ric Flair, 
nobody's more thrilled to see you know these these football players in the locker room doing his doing his gimmick. And again, being a big baseball fan, I still didn't know that Josh Reddick was a big baseball fan. So I think that, and since since wrestling has you know he comes from an era where there's always that long fight for legitimacy. Uh, and we talked about this before, but you know the WWE has been very very smart by presenting you know the, the, the Super Bowl champions, the World Series champions, all these different champions of sports with their own WWE belt. Now it could look at as a generous offering of acknowledgement, and it, which it is, I'm sure it's very genuine. But it's also product placement because when you got the world champion wearing your product, that's a very very smart move there. So I think that for Ric Flair, that you know for him having Somebody and what we would, what in maybe in his mind is a more of a legitimate sport, uh, uh, you know, acknowledging him. I think that he was just as excited to talk to Josh Reddick as Josh Reddick was to speak with him, and and you could feel that that genuine enthusiasm, and you could kind of feel that kind of like you know, hey man, you know, kind of thing of like what Ric Flair is probably really really like uh, in person. So that was a great 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 moment there. Uh, now, now getting back to uh, Survivor Series. So, one thing uh, that I wanted to say, one thing I, that I found it was kind of odd to learn, is that I, you know, I talked about this earlier. I took a break from wrestling for a while. I, I missed that whole Attitude Era. I've never seen WCW. Uh, only in retrospect, you know. Shout out to my man Diamond Dallas Page, who was the very first uh, guest on this show. Uh, you know, two years ago, live from Las Vegas. But uh, one thing I can't believe they got by me, and I just learned this, was that Survivor Series in 2003 was in Dallas, Texas, my hometown. And, you know, I didn't move to New York until 2006. I didn't watch wrestling from after WrestleMania 92 until around Survivor Series time in 2000. But I went to WrestleMania in Seattle in 2003 for WrestleMania 19. Why would I not have gone? I've always wanted to go to a Survivor Series. Why didn't I go? What was going on? Yeah, that's crazy, man. I mean, like you said, there was a little bit of a gap for you, but it sounds like you were kind of on and off during that time. Is that right? Well, I mean, not, not really. Like I said, like I got re- reintroduced and re- reinterested in late 2000 and largely because they were finally bringing WrestleMania to, you know, they were bringing it to Houston. I'm up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and thinking, oh, my gosh. And I was working for an airline at the time. I thought, well, man, we can just hop down there. And, and you know, when it was at the Astrodome, again, being a massive baseball fan. Shout out to Mike Schmidt, the only person to hit the uh, the roof uh, for my uh, beloved Philadelphia Phillies. Um, but I, that's what got me interested. But mainly I saw, I saw a promo, I think, for SmackDown or something, and, and Kane was on it. And I was like, whoever that dude, I thought it was The Undertaker. And I was like, oh, The Undertaker's wearing red now? Because I hadn't seen The Undertaker since, you know, 92. Right. And uh, so I was like, man, what's going on with that? So that's how I got reintroduced. But again, I was, in, by, 19, by by 2003, we flew to Seattle. And, wow. you know, and was it at, at all the events. How the fact that Survivor Series have come down, I'm just trying to remember what... What, what what the heck was going on that would have made me forget it? And I, I you know, it had to have been some girl. You know what I mean? It's always a girl. I think a uh, girl or going to the bathroom, right? Those are the two things that impede your judgment. They, always, always. Uh, when and where you will pee or when and where you will will not, I guess. Uh, uh, 
So yeah, it had to have been some girl. I, you know, looking back on it, I probably was going through. I don't know. There was probably something else going on, but uh, I was just kind of, you know, and so maybe, maybe I made the right judgment. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe, maybe hanging out with that girl was, uh, was better than the actual, but I just was just for fun looking at the card and it was headlined by Triple H and Goldberg, man. So, uh, yeah, that's one that you definitely probably, uh, look back on and regret missing. But I was there in in Seattle order that year for Goldberg's, uh, uh, you know, of course the day after WrestleMania with the, uh, with the debuts like we're talking about. Uh, or the returns or surprises was I was there when when uh, Gold, when Goldberg showed up and speared the Rock there at the Key Arena there in Seattle. So that was a, a neat thing to be a part of as well. So I guess I had my Goldberg moment. So I guess it's all good, good, good. Uh, so you know how speaking of the Rock, you talked about the Rock earlier. What year was it that he was the sole survivor uh, for his team? Yeah, that was uh, 1996 in Madison Square Garden in New York City. And uh, to be honest with you, that was really the only memorable part of that card. If you go back and look, a lot of the talent was not really up to par by today's standards. You, it was scattered with talent. Obviously, Owen Hart was there. Uh, you had Billy Gunn, who later went on to be a big part of DX with the New Age Outlaws. Uh, but uh, but overall, that was uh, not, not a very exciting card and it, it is exciting now to go back and look and see from a perspective right well this is when i was out of it like i said like i i literally did not watch a a a, a second of, of of any wrestling product from wrestle from the day after wrestlemania 8 uh until again round survivor series time 2000 so a good eight and a half years i missed all the attitude era but what was so funny when i i look back on it it was kind of like i i didn't f- foresee this because or foreshadow it, but if you go look back, they were in very much a transitional stage, and we're not going to go into the whole like Monday Night War thing where people jumping ship to WCW and all that kind of stuff. But, but what I, I you know, it was almost kind of like I, you know, they didn't lose me for the reasons they lost a lot of people. I just turned eighteen that year. I was on to other stuff. It could have still been the greatest thing in the world, but 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 just ironically, uh, almost serendipitously was that it was also the most lean period. Now, of course, they were pull, they, they pulled out of that not far longer in 97 uh, or whenever, whenever you know, Stone Cold, you know, delivered his famous, we mentioned earlier about, about Austin 316. Uh, but they had some lean years here. So just for fun, I'd like to read you the card here, how you just mentioned. So here it is. You know, they're still in Madison, they're at Madison Square Garden. It's still a big event. And, and it, it's still the last kind of, you know, bastion of the traditional four-on-four Survivor Series matches for every card. But listen to this. Now, do I not know who these people are because I wasn't watching at the time or I'm not the wrestling fan that you are or is this more indicative of the of the landscape of WWE at the time? I'll let our listeners decide. Uh, we want to hear what is your favorite memory from Survivor Series? Not just this year. You can, you can, have, you can mention, mention this year, but also what is your favorite memory? It was your first Survivor Series mentioned this year but whatever we want to hear your favorite survivor series moment all across you know the 31 years they've held this great event we've already mentioned of course mine being uh in 1990 of course with the debut the undertaker and the gobbledygooker and jay's yours being in 1996 uh with the rock being being the sole survivor so we want to hear it we want to do so, so just hashtag with us uh just hashtag tricky kid radio uh or tricky kid radio survivor series 
uh, and we'll be happy to, to check that out and get back to us. And give us some insight into this card, because check this out. This is pretty rotten. Aldo Montoya, Bart Gunn, Bob Holly, and Jesse James. Is that Road Dog? I think that's Road Dog, Jesse James, yeah. Versus uh, Billy Gunn, Justin Bradshaw. Is that JBL? That is JBL, yeah. Salvatore Sincere and the Sultan. No, it is. Uh, with the iron, I guess they brought up the iron shake as a uh, as a uh, as support or some sort of like enhancement. Uh, the second match: Doug Furness, Henry O. Godwin, and Phil Lafon and Phineas I. Godwin, again with Hillbilly Jim as enhancement, versus the British Bulldog. Was that was that Davy Boy? Yeah. Uh, Leif Cassidy. No idea. Marty Janetti, and of course the late great Owen Hart. Number three was a great course singles match with The Undertaker versus, versus of course, Mick Foley as Mankind. Number four, Jake Roberts, of course, the great Jake Snake Roberts. Uh, Mark Marrow, and then, then known as Rocky Maivia, The Rock, and The Stalker. <laughs> uh, defeated, looks like, Crush, Goldust, Jerry Lawler, and a very early Triple H, then known as Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And, uh... And of course, is this the the great thing with where Bret Hart versus Stone Cold, where they did the double turn? That was where the double turn occurred. Now, see, I, I I've seen that match, but I've gone back and watched that match on the WWE Network. Is it one of those matches you got to see kind of thing? But I've never seen this card because, again, you know, for it, it, sure. Well, and just like bringing that into recollection, just thinking about from a fan's perspective, just from '96 to '97, Survivor Series is. Uh, the difference between Bret Hart and where he was at in the company. Right. Well, yeah, 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 for, yeah, for sure. And then, of course, um, and then there was Diesel. That's Kevin Nash, right? That is Kevin Nash. Uh, Farouk, that's Ron Simmons, right? Razor Ramon, of course, Scott Hall, and Vader. That's a hell of a team. Uh, uh, versus Flash Funk. No clue. Uh, Jimmy Snuka, I guess, short date of his career. Savio Vega. That was, uh, and, uh, and Yoko Zuna. Wow. And so, and then, and then of course, they had the Psycho Sid versus Shawn Michaels. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, we, the only mention I'll say of this is would be, would be, would remiss because we're talking about the Survivor Series. There have been books and entire episodes and maybe one day, you know, probably unnecessarily we'll do an entire episode, but, uh, this year marks the 30th anniversary, of course, of the Montreal Screwjob. For those of you that are non-wrestling fans or have just heard about that a little bit, look that up. Again, you know, there's way more um, coverage of that, more than we could ever could cover right here. That would be done, done way much more in depth and done a better job. And they've already done the heavy lifting. I'm just There's just no way we could do a Survivor Series episode with at the very least mentioning it, especially this being the 30th anniversary. So just in a nutshell, it kind of goes something like this. Again, I wasn't watching at the time, but again, gone back in hindsight, I've uh, of course, uh, it's it's probably considered to be the most documented and agonized over and mold over and it's like the you know it's like the the JFK assassination of wrestling was that it was the uh, it was Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart in Montreal, Bret Hart being the champion at the time, uh, of course, a major major hero in Canada. And he was about to leave the company. He didn't want to drop the belt. And uh, they came up with a satisfying for all parties uh, finish, uh, predetermined finish, of course, 
which they in turn uh, uh, did not uh, do what Bret Hart thought they were, you know, the agreed plan on, hence the term Montreal Screwjob, and kind of sending a bit of a message there. Whatever side you're on your debate, it was great to see them finally kind of like bury the hatchet there, uh, you know, as much as they could, I guess, between Sean and Brett. But I wanted to get your perspective is that when did you first hear about the Montreal Screwjob? Because you were seven in 1997. Yeah, what's crazy is, and, you know, we we didn't have cable television and all those things, so I didn't get to watch a whole lot of pay-per-views, but I happened to be with a friend of mine and we watched it live, and we knew at seven years old that something something so was something wrong. Something seemed weird, right? Something seemed weird because you've got uh, the, you know this this great match, and then it just ended out of nowhere. Vince McMahon comes down to the ring, gets spit in his face. Like those aren't like for that you, real, like yeah. for real, spit in his face. And so it was just kind of like, wait, 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 that that shouldn't have happened. Some, some something just happened wrong. And so uh, you know, going back on it from a fan's perspective and 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 really in depth. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it doesn't make sense in any other business. Imagine that, like you're, you're on your way out and, uh, and those things take place. Um, it, it doesn't make sense in any other atmosphere. For sure. And so I just wondered, because like I said, I'm, I'm able to see it as an adult from that perspective. But again, like I said, you know, Montreal Screwjob, it's been talked about to death. Uh, you know, uh, it probably always will be. I just, um. You know, it, it went from, and I think that was also the landscape of the time, which then basically gave birth to the Attitude Era, because now Vince McMahon was a real life villain, and you know, and then here's this kind of like, you know, and so you know, the tide was shifting, and then you know, this this real exposure of the business was happening, so, and I think that would be the only thing that could have given birth to it. So, I only mention it here to show you the place that Survivor Series holds in the lexicon of this great tradition of professional wrestling. Um, So bringing it back here. uh, So again, very excited about tonight uh, with uh, coming up. What's going to be, this going to be SmackDown live once again, coming from the Toyota center uh, in downtown Houston, Texas. We will be in the house. We hope everybody is watching. um, And you, whenever you hear this, um, if you haven't already had, had, had seen it or you'll enjoy this as, a companion. What do you think you're most looking forward to? Again, like I said, we mentioned this earlier. Uh, you know, Stephanie came out very strong there with Survivor Series and last night at Raw. What do you think Shane's going to do tonight? Yeah, I think that uh, he's got to he's got to make some type of rebuttal to some of the comments that were made uh, by Stephanie. And like you said, uh, not only did they they come out a little bit strong on the strong side uh, from Survivor Series, but then she actually came out last night. And had some disparaging comments to make against Shane. <laughs> right, right, right. And so it, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out. Uh, you know, of course, you and I sometimes get into some analytical conversations uh, about, uh, you know, wrestling just as lifelong fans. And so um, it, there's some, some some things that could potentially happen uh, right, that, right. that we've kind of discussed uh, with Daniel Bryan and with Shane McMahon. And so it'll be uh, exciting to see which way they go with that storyline. For sure. And it is going to be better than that horrible, like him trying to rally. Like, like Stephanie McMahon is so believable. It's like the best talker in the company. And Shane just has somehow morphed into Jay Leno in the last two years. And with the same kind of bland personality. And whenever he was trying to, like, rally the troops, that was a, that was a rotten segment. Yeah, it's by far one of the worst segments of, of recent memory. <laughs> Which is, you know, SmackDown's always kind of played the underdog thing. And, and that's... 
that's not going to do them any favors. But regardless, we're going to be in the house. We hope you will, you will too. We hope you've enjoyed all the stuff this week from NXT War Games to the big show on this past Sunday with Survivor Series, Monday Night Raw. We're going to close out this fantastic four-week, I'm sorry, four-day uh, amazing thing uh, series here with the Survivor Series. We want to thank all the staff at the Toyota Center uh, in downtown Houston, once again, have been so kind to us and has made this experience absolutely wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that seems to be uncommon in the area, <laughs> customer service from some of our other experiences that we won't go into on this podcast. But uh, when you walk into that Toyota Center, I tell you that every single staff member that we've come into contact with has been friendly. They've made sure that we were comfortable and cozy and accommodated. And so uh, big shout out to them. Uh, we spoke to a gentleman last night uh, and he, he even said, you know, can't wait to have you guys back tomorrow night. So, right, right. Uh, the, the welcoming back, the the openness and, and just the, the accommodation that we've received from the staff members at the Toyota Center. Definitely want to give them a shout out. For sure. Uh, so again, uh, uh, Jay, where can they find you on the interwebs? Uh, on Twitter at Jay Skinner music, um, and on Instagram at Jay Gotham 501. And of course you always can find us on Twitter at tricky kid in the number two. That's tricky kid in the number two. Go on Facebook for tricky kid pod, a radio podcast and go on to iTunes and subscribe. It's free. It's awesome. Do it. You, if you can, leave us a review, man, so we can keep this show free and come back each and every single week uh, for you. Also, go to trickykid.com. It's tricky-kid.com. Look at all the great events we got coming up again with IHWE on December the 16th. Uh, it's going to be a great, great, great thing. Of course, the Wild Street uh, show on December the 14th with, with the release being uh, raised hell the next day. And you're going to see, and also you'll have a great visual. Because what will happen is, is if you go to trickykid.com, what happens is, is that you get to see pictures of everything that we're talking about. So you get to have that great visual covenant. There's going to be pictures of us here by this, in this beautiful park here, Herman Park here in, uh, in Houston, Texas, with a reflecting pool. Pics of Jay and I at the events, the wrestlers, everything from this trip. So definitely check it out. And we want to say, have a great, happy holiday. Uh, the show normally airs on Thursdays. It's going to air, of course, uh, you know, today on Wednesday, one day in advance of the big day. So have a great holiday. Have a great holiday season. Happy Thanksgiving to each and every person, and we'll see you next week. For my guest, Michael McClurdy, and for my co-host this week, for uh, Jay Skinner, we'll see you next week.